Good morning. Merry Christmas week. Man, are you excited for Christmas? I am excited for Christmas. I love Christmas. You know, like obviously just the importance of celebrating the birth of Jesus, right? I love doing that. That's obviously the biggest, most important part. But I just love a couple days off, sitting in my living room, maybe next to the Christmas tree, reading a book, just knowing that Leanne is in the kitchen doing some baking and some cooking, and she's doing some cleaning. She's wrapping presents. She's writing Christmas cards. But I love sitting next to the Christmas tree and reading a book. Uh, I'm just kind of being funny. Obviously, I'd probably not be reading a book. I'd probably, probably be watching a football game. But, but seriously, I hope that this is a wonderful week for you. Um, we're in the middle of a series called The Songs of Christmas. Last week, Pastor Chase uh, used the song, Oh Holy Night, one of my favorite Christmas songs. The week before that, uh, Chris Jinder spoke to us and he used the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which is also a very special song around Christmas time. So, so here this morning, it's O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And it doesn't matter if you spell it with an I or if you spell it with an E, it's the same word. It means God with us. So today we are going to turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. It's the same passage that Pastor Chase helped us uh, study last week. I'm going to focus on a couple different verses this morning though. So I'm going to ask that you open up there with me. It'll also be on the screen. And we're going to start reading in verse 18. Verse 18. Let me get a couple things situated here. So follow along as I read, please. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had a mind to, diver to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Wow. Go back up to verse 22. These are going to be the verses we look at this morning, verse 22 and 23. And... Uh, this is also going to be springboard into a couple other passages that we're going to look at this morning. 
Let's go to verse 22. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. So maybe you're here this morning or maybe you're watching online and maybe this is the first time that you have ever read that verse. Maybe it's the first time that you're reading it with a discerning eye and a discerning ear and really thinking about what it says because we read it, those of us who go to church, those of us who might have grown up in a Christian home, we have read this verse since we could start reading the Bible, right? I mean, it is one of the verses. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. But a person reading it for the first time might think, prophet? The Lord has said through the prophet, what prophet? What's Matthew talking about? Pastor Chase last week told us that the prophet's being referred to here, that the prophet being referred to is the prophet Isaiah. But I wonder how many of us actually, no matter how many times you've read this, have actually stopped to think about what that was like. What was going on when, when Isaiah spoke those words. Some of you probably have done a little Bible study and you thought it through and you, and you figured it out. Most of us, I would think, probably think, well, I'm not sure. What was going on with Isaiah? Maybe Isaiah was in his house, right? Was Isaiah in his house playing Scrabble with his wife and the Holy Spirit comes to him and says, hey, Isaiah, write this down. I got something big that I want you to just start telling everybody. Write this down, Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Did you get that, Isaiah? Did you write that down? It's got to be word for word right there. Now, that's not how it happened. How did it happen? If this is one of the verses, probably what I consider the main verse of the prophecy of the birth of Christ, what was going on? Today, we're going to take a look, because it's back in Isaiah chapter 7. All right, so now listen. Get your hiking shoes on, because we're going to go into the weeds, all right? So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7, because we are going to, like, geek out on some Old Testament history. And some of you are like, sweet, I was hoping today we would get into some Old Testament history. And some of you are like, oh, Dan, wake me up when you're done. Okay, don't, don't be like that. Don't think that. Okay, go to Isaiah chapter 7, back in the Old Testament, because we're going to find out more about what was going on while Isaiah spoke these words. What was happening? Isaiah chapter 7. Follow along. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Now, fair warning, fair warning here. There are a lot of names and there's a lot of, of things going on. And there's a lot of details. All right. So let's start reading in Isaiah chapter 1. It says, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. It says, when Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem. But they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, 
Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. We are two verses into chapter 7. And I'm sure everyone's thinking, got it. No problem. I'm with you, Dan. Keep right on going. I know exactly what's going on here. Probably, possibly, there's more than one person sitting here going, what in the world? Dan, that's why I don't spend much time reading the prophets. Because it's so confusing sometimes, right? Okay, so what we're going to do here for the next 10 minutes or so is we're going to kind of walk through this to find out what's going on. So there is a picture of a map that I'm going to have shown up on the slides, up on the screen. All right, there it is. All right, this is going to help us understand what's going on during the time of this prophecy. All right, so this is a map of the kingdoms of Judah and of Israel during Isaiah's time. But before this was the reality of the Old Testament landscape, 1,200 years before this, God came to a man named Abraham and told Abraham, I am going through you to create a nation. And through that great nation, I am going to bring a Savior into the world. I'm going to bless the world. Many years later, God spoke to David and said, David, through your family line, I am going to bring a Savior. He is going to come through the tribe of Judah, and he will sit on your throne for all eternity. So now, during Isaiah's time, back here we have, this is the kingdom of Judah. It is being led by a man named King Ahaz. He's a wicked, evil king. Most of the kings of Judah during this time, they were wicked and evil. There were a few good ones. Up here to the north, we have the kingdom of Israel. That was being led by King Pekah. He was a wicked, evil king. All of the kings of Israel, they were all wicked and evil. Back just after David's, just, just back after David's birth, before, before Isaiah came on the screen, or seen, this was one nation. But then it split into these two different kingdoms. Ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. King Pekah, he's the king of Israel. And then you notice next to, king, uh, next to the kingdom of Israel, this is the kingdom of Aram. That's also mentioned in this passage. That is being led by King Rezin. All right, King Rezin. There's one more important thing to know up here. This is the Assyrian Empire. They are the big bad boys on the block right now. They are taking over the whole known world. They have their eyes set right here on the kingdom of Israel and on the kingdom of Aram. The Assyrian Empire is marching onward. The king of Israel, King Pekah, and the king of Rezin, they don't like it. So they form a treaty, and they come up with a brilliant plan. They think, let's team up together and let's do something else. Let's go down to Judah. Let's kick out King Judah. Let's take over. And now we're going to have Judah partner with us. We're going to put our own king in place. And we will then fight the Assyrian Empire. Got it? That's all in verse 1 and 2 of the book of Isaiah, chapter 7. Let's keep reading. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son, Shear Jeshub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. 
Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and do not be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, and of the son of Remalia. Aram, Ephraim, which is just another name for Israel, and Remalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. Okay, let's stop there. So now God goes to Isaiah, his prophet, and he says, Isaiah, go to King Ahaz in Judah, and you tell him, this is what's happening. These kings are doing this, but you tell him, stay calm. Do not be afraid. Do not lose heart. Be careful. Now think about this. King Ahaz is a wicked, evil king. He has reintroduced child sacrifices. He's brought in foreign idols. He's begun to take apart the temple of God. He is everything God is against. Yet God comes to King Ahaz and says, Ahaz, stay calm. I've got this. Stay calm. I will take care of this. Because God wants Judah to continue to be part of his plan to bringing a savior into the world. But let's see what King Ahaz does. Actually, in verse 7, let's keep reading it. It says, yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. With 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. So God has Isaiah go to King Ahaz, and he says, you keep your faith. You, you make your faith in God, and he will take care of this. And then Isaiah tells King Ahaz, you ask for any sign you want, any sign you can think of from the deepest depths to the highest heights, you think of any sign you want God to show you, and he will give it to you to show that he's got this, that he will be faithful, that he will take care of the situation, any sign, any sign. And this is what King Ahaz says. Verse 12, but Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, that sounds righteous and pious and holy and God-honoring because he's quoting a verse out of Deuteronomy, out of the law, of the Old Testament law that says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And it sounds great. It is not great. It's a smoke screen. He's blowing smoke to God and to his prophet. He wants it to make, because he wants to make it sound like he just doesn't want to test God. But God told him, you ask for a sign. 
But as we read elsewhere in the book of Isaiah, we know that King Ahaz has already determined in his mind and in his heart, he's got a plan. He's doing things his own way, and he's going to partner with the king of Assyria. He wants the king of Assyria to come down and to help protect him. And God wants Judah to have nothing to do with that. The Assyrian empire is evil, idolatrous. God wants nothing with Judah to have any part of the Assyrian empire. But that's what King Ahaz is going to do. So he says, I will not put the Lord God to the test. Aren't I holy? No, he's not holy. He's evil. And he's deceptive. And Isaiah's had enough of it. Let's keep reading. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David, exclamation mark. That's not like, oh, I'm excited, exclamation mark. That's an angry exclamation mark. And he calls him the house of David. That's another word for Judah. So now Isaiah is telling the king of Judah, King Ahaz, and the, and the whole kingdom of Judah, he says, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Isaiah is saying, man, I have about had it. I have about had it. You are pushing me too far. And then he says, will you try the patience of my God also? So now Isaiah is telling King Ahaz, listen, not only have you pushed me to the limit, but you've pushed God to the limit. Then Isaiah goes on and he says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. There it is. Now we know the history. Now we know the backdrop of this prophecy that we read every Christmas. But what's that have to do with Ahaz? What's that have to do with Judah? Because Jesus' birth was 700 years later. 700 years later. What's that have to do with Ahaz and his determination to partner with Assyria? Well, I believe that Isaiah was telling King Ahaz, listen, you have, you have set your heart towards wickedness. You are defying God. But you will not stop God's plan. You will, not, you will not be allowed to prevent God from carrying out his plan that he has put in place from the beginning of time to bring a savior through Judah to the world. You will not stop it. In the next two verses, verses 15 and 16, things get very confusing. It says, he will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. Now that's confusing. And different Bible scholars and historians, they go back and forth about what that means. And honestly, no one's real sure. There's some thought of maybe there's another son that's born, not of a virgin, but of a woman there. Maybe it's Ahaz's son. Maybe it's Isaiah's son. Maybe it's symbolic about what's going to go on. No one's real sure. But what we know for sure is that prophecy that Isaiah gave in verse 14 is a direct prophecy to the birth of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, that would take place 700 years later. And in verse 17, there's something else that's also very clear. It says, the Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim 
broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Now God's punishing King Ahaz for his rebellion. He's saying, I'm going to bring in the Assyrian Empire. And it is going to attack Jerusalem. And that's, and that's exactly what happened a few years ago. The king of Assyria came down to Jerusalem and attacked it. He did not conquer it, but he decimated it. But God prevented the Assyrian Empire from taking over Judah. It did not happen. But somewhere in that time, King Ahaz was removed from his throne. Several years later, God brought the Babylonian Empire to take over Judah. But Assyria did not do it. What's all this have to do with Christmas? Why do I even talk about it? Because in the middle of this very tumultuous time in Judah and in Israel, think about what was going on. Evil kings, rotten to the core, horrible. Child sacrifices, idolatry, all kinds of immorality. Kings of Judah and of Israel making alliances with foreign, foreign kingdoms who hated God. There was violence. It was a dark time, dark time in the kingdom of Judah and of Israel. But even in the midst of the darkness, with all the evil and the corruption, God was at work. God was at work, planning, moving his will towards the birth of his son. It's awesome. Friends, 2020 has been less than ideal, right? I mean, less than ideal. Political strife, economic problems, pandemic. People we know have got sick. Some of them died, whether related to the pandemic or not. There's just been all kinds of problems. And that's not to even mention your own personal strife, that you're just living life. Don't think for a minute. God's not at work in the middle of it. God is always at work. Moving. Creating the path of not only his son being born, but one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And God is currently moving and planning to set up his eternal throne of which every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Moving and acting. Just how about your own life in 2020? What has your life been like? I hope as you sit here right now, you are filled with God's peace and his presence in your life. Sincerely, I hope that. But I imagine there's more than one person here who's got some turmoil. Maybe it's relational turmoil, emotional, physical, spiritual, financial, something. Some kind of turmoil. Let me remind you today. Let me just assure you today. God is at work in the middle of it. Like King, like, just like God through Isaiah went to King Ahaz and he's telling him, Stay calm. Do not worry. Do not fear. I've got this. Ahaz chose not to listen. We have a choice. We can trust in God's power and in his sovereignty. 
in the middle of strife to know that God is always working. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but that's where our faith comes in, where we trust, God, you are at work in this. I'm going to stay calm. I'm going to trust you in the middle of it. The first point I want to make this morning is this. Jesus' birth reveals to us that God is always at work. Jesus' birth reveals God's continuous work from the beginning of time through all of eternity. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Let's go back to verse 23. It says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. Let's stop there. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. Think about that. Wow. Friends, that statement, that truth, that a virgin conceived and gave birth to the son is foundational to our Christian faith. Foundational. Why is it so important? Let me tell you, like, I'm going to tell you in a story. This is a true story. It's a sad story. It's not very Christmassy. But it goes like this. Back in 2012, in a small town in central California, there was a 67-year-old grandmother. Most days during the week, she would go to her daughter and son-in-law's house to take care of her granddaughter while her daughter and son-in-law went to work. This 67-year-old grandmother loved her three-year-old granddaughter very much. They'd play together, do things together, and one day they were in the backyard, and that three-year-old granddaughter fell in the pool. She couldn't swim. Unfortunately, neither could the grandmother. Consumed with love for her granddaughter, she jumps into the pool in an effort to save her granddaughter. Two hours later, some maintenance men come by and they find the two lifeless bodies floating in the pool. That granddaughter, she needed a rescuer. She needed someone not like her. She needed someone that can offer to her something she couldn't give herself. She needed a rescuer. Friends, you and I, we need a rescuer. We are drowning in an ocean of our own sin. And we need somebody to offer to us what we cannot offer ourselves. Someone to reach into the ocean of our sinfulness and pull us out. We need a rescuer. That is why the virgin birth is paramount and foundational to our Christian faith. Because Jesus, Jesus needed to have human flesh and bones and blood to be able to die a human death, to shed physical blood over the sins of the world. He needed to be a whole, complete human. At the same time, Jesus needed to be perfect. He needed to be sinless, maintain his sinlessness, holy. And God had a plan, 
How could that happen? What, what could possibly have that combination of humanity and sinlessness? A virgin birth. And God had a plan from the beginning of time. I will send my son, Jesus, through a virgin birth. If Jesus was created by the natural human of a man and a woman, he would have inherited our sinfulness, our inherent sinfulness. But instead, God, through the Holy Spirit, conceived a baby in the womb of a virgin. It has never been done before, only that one time. It will never be done again. Never in the history of all humanity will a woman give birth to a child without the assistance of a male seed. It will never be done again. It's a one-time miracle. One-time miracle. The virgin birth. It is foundational to our Christian faith. And friends, let me ask you where you are today. Are you drowning in the sin of your own sinfulness? Are you drowning in an ocean of your own sinfulness? Or have you cried out to your creator, the God who loves you, and says, God, God, I am a sinner. My conscience tells me that. I feel it. I know it. I'm wicked and I'm evil. But God, you love me so much that you had a plan to send your Savior, your Son, to die for me. God, come into my life. Forgive me. Forgive, wash away my sinfulness. Come in, take control. Be my Lord and my God. Have you done that? If not, I plead with you. Do that today. Bow your head and your heart where you are and say, God, I know, I know I'm drowning. I need your forgiveness. Come into my life. Forgive me, God. Show me how to live this life. Be pleased with my life, my Father. Do it today. First point this morning is Jesus' birth reveals God's continuous work. Secondly, Jesus' birth reveals the rescuer. We know who it is. Let's keep going to the third point. Let's keep reading in Matthew chapter 1. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Wow, think about that. God with us. Before Jesus was born of a virgin and took on human flesh. The human race only had guesses, assumptions, and a lot of doubts as to the character of God. They had the Old Testament, but uh, really, that was about it. There wasn't much, right? There's the Old Testament, there's the law, and there's our natural inclination to believe in a, a... in a creator, and besides that, we were left with a lot of guesses and a lot of doubts. But then, through the birth of Jesus Christ, God came to man, and he revealed his character to mankind. 
And as Jesus lived and taught and spent time with people, he showed us who God is. God is love. God is good. God is gentle. God is strong. God is merciful. God is righteous. God is holy. God is just. God is compassionate. And the list goes on. We know that because of the birth and the life of Jesus Christ. God revealed his character to us. He came down, lived on this earth to show us who he is. It's awesome. During his time on life, during, during his life on earth, God lived life. Jesus lived life just like you and I. He endured all the trials and sufferings and pressures of this life. There's a, there's a couple of verses I want to read to you out of Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith, to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What are these verses telling us? These verses are telling us that when God became man, he endured all the trials and tribu all the trials, tribulations, sufferings, pressures of life like you and I do. But I would propose to you, he experienced, he experienced it to a much greater degree than any of us ever have. The reason I say that is because Jesus never broke, he never sinned. Satan was able to unleash his entire war chest upon him. All of his weapons of evil, all of his weapons of darkness, all of his weapons of wickedness, he unleashed upon Jesus to bring down the Son of God. Because Jesus never sinned, he never broke underneath that pressure. Satan was able to empty out his entire, his entire war chest. He threw everything he had at Jesus. Jesus never broke. He never sinned. He endured all the trials, temptations, struggles of this life that you and I endure, but to a greater extent. Now, you and I, when we approach God's throne of grace and mercy, we do so with confidence. God, I know you experienced this. God, I know you went through this. God, help me. We can go to him in confidence because the same spirit that was at work in the Son of God on earth has been placed in you and I as we live our life. The spirit of God victorious over all sin is in you and I. We can now go to God's throne with, with confidence. God, I know, I know your power will rest in me. As I live this life on this earth. Amen? Amen. Amen. That Jesus' birth revealed God's character to us. 
Wow. It's fantastic. This week, as you celebrate Christmas, I hope that all of us are filled with awe. Wow, and just sit back and go, wow, really? Really, God, you did that for me? You did that for me. You show me that you are continually at work in this world, despite the evil and the wickedness and the darkness. You showed me who my rescuer is. You showed me who can save me from my sin. You revealed your character to me. I can now go to your throne with confidence. Wow. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus sent his son to earth born through a virgin, God with us, because he loves us. Pray with me, please. God, we love you, love you, love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for what we celebrate this week. The birth of your son, God in the flesh, God with us. Father, may we not just rush through this week with all the fun activities and the gatherings and the meals and the presents. May we take time to truly reflect on what it is you've done for us by sending your son to this world to be born, to live a perfect life on this earth, to die the perfect sacrifice, to resurrect victorious over sin. Father, we say thank you. We say we love you. Father, may our lives reflect that this week. We truly love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.